Welcome to Globally Speaking, your program that explores everything and anything to do with language localization. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting global brands today? Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who's engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Renato and Michael. Hi, I am Renato Beninato. And I am Michael Stevens. Today we have an excellent guest to our show, and we're going to talk about globalization from an enterprise perspective with somebody that has worked in several major technology companies in Silicon Valley. And our listeners may benefit from, we covered a little bit in the interview, but globalization is a word that's thrown around. And globalization, localization, translation, internationalization are all parts of this... Alphabet soup? <laughs> the alphabet soup, but also this movement and these activities that we exercise when we want to do global business. Yeah. So let's listen to our guest. Hi, this is Anna Schlegel. I am from Catalonia, which is a small, little, beautiful nation between France and Spain. I am a senior director of globalization and information engineering at NetApp. NetApp is a company on the west coast of California. Well, that's not a very good start, Anna. Okay. You mentioned Catalonia and you mentioned the west coast of California, but the topic of your book is about being global. In a global business, do places like Catalonia and west coast of California matter? Yes, they do. Catalonia is one of the top 10 innovators right now in Europe. And as you well know, the West Coast of California is the home of the Silicon Valley, where you find some of the top leading beasts that believe in globalization and are doing relatively well in that space. Well, I'm being a little mean, but the point <laughs> that I want to make is that if we're going to talk about global business, one of the things that I love to mention is this book that I read in 1992 called The Global Paradox. And John Nisbet talked about how the more global business the world becomes, the stronger the local identities will become. That's right. That's so right. I found it very interesting because in reality, what drives globalization is localization, is making content local. So languages, local languages like Catalan and Gaelic and Venetian and smaller languages in Asia become more relevant. Is that the reality that you see in your day-to-day -day work? Yes. Well, in my day-to-day -day work, because I lead product globalization and company globalization for an engineering company that sells highly complex storage products, languages at the smaller level are really not important. We do globalize into Chinese. We do globalize for Japan and a few other languages where the countries that can afford our systems and where we see the bigger deals, those are the languages that we're after. But If I were to work for Facebook or Twitter or PayPal or eBay, I think we do see the importance of smaller languages. 
Catalan, by the way, is a language spoken by 7 million people, so you cannot compare it to Gaelic as an example. Good. Mm-hmm. There is some national pride in there, I feel. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> now, just so we're clear on terms, because some people who are listening and you guys talking about globalization may think you're talking about reducing the inequality between countries. Is that what you mean, Anna? So when I talk about globalization and uh, enterprise globalization, it's really about what each business sets out to do. So it's about business goals and making international revenue. That's the sort of globalization that I am talking Mm -hmm. through my book and through my work is different companies have different goals. And they have different sets of countries where they want to be successful in, and hopefully they have a roadmap. And so the type of globalization I am an expert and have more insight into is how do you realize those goals for a company to be successful in the countries that they choose. And each company chooses a very different set of countries. So the title of your book is Truly Global, The Theory and Practice of Bringing Your Company to International Markets. Is this written mostly for the enterprise, for large companies? What is the target of your book? That's right. Yeah, it is a book for enterprise globalization, and it describes how the bigger companies set up to reach the international footprint and international revenue that they decide to go after. And then obviously there is a lot for startups as well that want to be set up properly so that when they grow up, even if they're in their emerging state right now or they're piloting or beta of products or they have one product, two products, it's a really good place to start understanding what will it take. And my strong recommendation is that they actually visualize and map out what would it take. Because there are certain things that can be done from the get-go that will make it so much easier for their products to be successful in Russia or in Japan or in France. So usually localization is seen as a very mundane activity inside the organization. Yes. You propose that this role be addressed at higher levels in the organization. How so? That's right. Yeah. Well, it's been my experience as I was hired to run a translation team or a localization team. And I was happy to do so in my first years of my career. I quickly realized that being set up as a service or as a workflow to take in translations or localization was nice. And there is a lot of work and pride in that. But there is a very strong connection and correlation of how companies do well because of the amount of content that you push through the localization machinery or what products you push through or what things you should have never pushed through that machinery. Because you could be collapsing the other end with information that's actually not needed at the local level. And so understanding all those pieces needs to be elevated. If we are in companies 
and we set up a localization team, a localization service. And there's nobody watching over the bigger strategy of was that content the right content? Were the products the right products? Were the marketing managers on the other end aware that this program, project, product was coming? You are in a very dangerous zone of not understanding if what you're doing actually has any meaning for the company. And I think that localization teams need to really think through if they should become globalization teams and the connections to the main stakeholders are very, very important so that everybody that's trying to push a product or a program can actually help the company do better in particular countries. Yeah, One of the things you did well in your book, I felt like, was work to get that understanding, provide people a list of questions, whether you're talking to a stakeholder within the company, you're trying to see the impact of your work in translation and localization on their final job and their goals, but also when you work with partners. I don't even have a question for you on this, but I think the questions will be helpful for people as they go and check out this book. How did you compile these questions, Anna? Is it your day-to-day challenge? I mean, you have a professional journey. You've been in several of these Silicon Valley companies. Were these the questions that you wish you had asked in other jobs? Were these the questions that you asked and finally you figured out which ones were the right ones? How did you select this set of questions in your book? So, thank you. That's a good one. I think I just started asking questions. And I remember I didn't even know if I was asking the right questions at the beginning. But the minute I started traveling to meet with my localization teams in Japan or in Korea or in China, I started staying an extra day to go and meet with our partners and clients, especially in the countries that mattered the most for my company, whatever the company was. I would stay an extra day and go and nail an interview with a head of product or a head of channel or at a pathway, you know, a partner. And I would ask the questions such as, is the pricing well set up? Is the content that we are sending you labeled easily for you to find it? Is our offering better or worse than another offering? Because at the end of the day, we're all vendors and services to the end customer. So I went in as a vendor. And so I started asking questions. Are our products in English helping you? Are the dogs in English helping you? And so the more I asked these questions, the more I got the right answers. And again, I've always been in highly engineering environments where the products don't need to be necessarily always in language if you're in countries like Sweden or Germany, where engineers are very comfortable in English environments. But the questions need to be there. You need to ask, why am I localizing this? Or why am I not localizing this? And the more questions you ask, the more you will help your company. This is very interesting. I I like your approach, Anna, because the reality is that nobody 
ask those questions consistently because it's nobody's job. The only point right. where all these things come together is at the localization level. So maybe you're dealing with pricing. It's somebody in the pricing group. Maybe you're dealing with specification issues, conversion tables, and this is somebody in the product group and engineering. And then you're dealing with the brochures that are not coming out in time or with the correct message. And this is the marketing group. And nobody is bringing all these things together. Localization is the only point where they converge. So the point that you took the initiative to go and talk to the different stakeholders in market is very interesting and gives you the edge. And I assume that this is how you went from localization manager to senior director. I think so. Yeah. Even if it was none of my business, I made it my business because Renato, as you're saying, it's nobody's job to understand the whole product life cycle delivery globally. It's a huge undertaking And I sit in a lot of conversations where they talk about do globalization teams need to be centralized or decentralized and what are the trends of those. And it's good conversation and there's many companies that do it in different ways. But at the end of the day, somebody needs to pretend to be the Japanese customer who is going to interact with your company. And the Japanese customer interacts at the pre-sales level, at the download level, at the installation level, at the pricing negotiation level, at the post-sales, at the support, at the upgrade level. And so once you understand that, the conversation really changes from localization to business. And if you can bring this insight back to your vice president of how things are looking like in Japan, are they going to see you as a service or are they going to see you as the person that they can email whenever they have a question on anything Japan? That's a fantastic point. And Anna, I've seen organizations where the only place where all this information gets back together is at the CEO level. So it's either at the localization level or at the CEO level. Every other function is completely placed in other leaders and it's decentralized in the organization. So you create that bridge and that's a very interesting recommendation to your readers. I think I did it because wherever I have worked, I didn't see a forum to do that. I did work once for a very clever man whose title was VP of strategy. And I learned a lot from him. And he had a model that was called a country served model, where it was so clear what countries the company cared about and then what did it take to be in that country. And so then we would go in as the localization provider or as the you know internationalization provider or as the geo-alignment provider to make his dreams come true, you know, but he had a strategy. He knew the countries, he knew what partners, we knew the money that we needed to be making, and all of that was mapped and looked at quarterly. And that was brilliant. And I think I learned a lot from this gentleman. And so I can imagine that there's many companies that have this at the CEO level. However, I haven't seen it. And so for the average director, manager in a company, 
how do they put together this information and report up in a way that doesn't seem condescending to their bosses? You know, they should know this about their business, right? And they don't. Yeah, yeah. How do you walk that line? Boy, so I would say, let's pretend you're in a support organization. You work for the support organization or the professional services organization. I think you can start with your own org. Even if you're a manager, just put it together and pretend that you have a customer or a partner that your company just won a deal in, let's say, Russia. So, okay, so what does this Russian customer need? And then really fully envision everything that can go right and everything that can go wrong with this customer in the relationship with your company in this person's language and start figuring out if you have it in place or if you don't have it in place. So for example, a Russian customer needs to be able to call you to open a ticket, needs to be able to look at your support site to look at this ticket, needs to be able to talk to you through social media, needs to be able to download support documentation, instructions, how-tos, might want to look at a knowledge database, might want to check out another product. And so all these things you can say, yeah, we have a nine to five call center, but what happens if this guy or woman needs to call you at 5.30? Who is he or she being routed to? And in what language? And what about the phone tree? Is he or she going to be able to follow the instructions of that phone tree? And so start imagining this person. So you put what I call, you put your field glasses on. It's like you put somebody else's glasses on and you pretend to be this other person. And so it doesn't matter what your title is. If you're a manager or senior manager, director, you have to start doing this for your customer if your company is a global company. Yeah. And Anna, one of the nice things is you share all this experience with people so they can glean the years of knowledge you have there, but some may be starting off in the same place where you did. You talk about your first job very briefly in the book. You were doing a, a Spanish translation for a family member. Was that, yes. Is that how it went? It, that's how I started. Yes, it was so bad. It was. I think it was my first year of college, you know, and everybody needs money in the first year of college. And, <laughs> and mom and dad weren't sending the check, huh? <laughs> very small check, you know. <laughs> And fortunately and unfortunately, I had a cousin, my mom's cousin, who was a CEO of a software company in Barcelona. And he said, well, I hear your English is pretty good already. I have some manuals and we need them translated. And so he hired me for a year because these manuals were very big. And so he said, here's these two big books. It's for you to translate them. And uh, this was like in 1986. I don't even know what typewriter I had. (laughs) And so he said, this is yours. And I remember starting, I opened these software tech pops, you know, documents, and I made so many mistakes, right? But I learned so much. One of the words was like data tables. And my first reaction in Spanish was to translate table as a table where you have lunch. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> and and when he looked at the first pass, he's like, "Oh my god, what are we gonna do with you?" you know? It's English is the same word, in Spanish it's a different word, right? <laughs> that's right. And yep. that that's how it all started. I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry." <laughs> oh, but he was a gracious family member. He was very gracious, Good. and he gave me a check at the end of the year. So, oh, yeah. that's great. Well, I mean, I think that's where the experience you share is helpful for people listening, regardless of where they are in their career and what they're doing now. Startup enterprise, they can benefit from it. What is sort of your one pitch for your book now, if you want to leave our listeners with that in the forefront of their mind? I think the book shows you the behind the scenes of what could be done or what can be done and what will really help you be more successful if you want to stay in a set of countries, you really cannot wing it and you cannot leave it split among many, many different teams if there is not a process to vet and understand carefully how all of this is going to work. Wonderful. We know that you also have another passion that you started an organization called Women in Localization. How is it going? That's right. Yes, it's going so well. Uh, we started Women in Localization in 2008, and I co-founded it with Silvia Avari from Brazil and Eva Claudinova from Slovakia. And the three of us started as a very small organization called Northern California Women in Localization and move ahead all these years, we are about 3,000 members. We have nine global chapters. And we're spending this year to reorganize as a board much stronger. And we're going the nonprofit route next year with a lot of partnerships across the profession and opening up roles for men and a lot of... Oh, that's uh, very good to hear yes. because I would never join a sexist organization like yes. this, but now you're changing. Yeah, we, we have changed quite a bit. There's a lot of uh, support and a lot of different initiatives to be advancing the profession and advancing the innovation in our space and talking about globalization as well. So it's very, it's very, very exciting. So you're a starter and a doer. That's great to hear. Where's the best place for people to find the book? So if anybody's interested in purchasing the book, the book can be bought through the Friesen Press website or through Amazon. Friesen Press is the Canadian house that helped me write and publish the book. Friesen is F. R-I-E-S-E-N Press, P-R-E-S-S dot com. And obviously Amazon is selling the book around the world as well. That's great. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, Renato. It was fun. So, Renato, that was a lot to take in from Anna Slagle today. She has a lot of experience and a lot of information, which is very useful to our listeners. But I found it interesting, this whole global and local discussion, how our personal identities play an important role. And I ask myself, do you need to be a foreigner to empathize and do this job? Could you, as an American, do this job, Michael? 
Well, it seems to be really beneficial to not be American in that job. But now you have a book and you have the questions to ask. You do. You have, and really, I think what's great about this book is you see a maturing of an industry as well as Anna's personal maturing as a manager and as a moving to director, senior director, all of that. Now there's more of a groundwork to understand what to do. Whereas when she took over the translation team, they just were doing translations. It was disconnected from the business conversations that were happening. And now as an industry, we're moving more in that direction. And now there's a, a roadmap for people to learn from. Fantastic. This podcast was produced by Burns 360. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, brought to you by Moravia. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So until next time, please visit online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com.